Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Serve opportunities, man, it's, it's that time of the year, isn't it? <laughs> it's coming up on us. Thanksgiving, we're going to have Thanksgiving baskets. You can donate items uh, or you can donate uh, money. You can, you can also help nominate a family. If you know of somebody that would, be, that would benefit from this, that would, that would be somebody that we could bless with a family, with a Thanksgiving basket, you can nominate a family for that. And then um, last of all, December 11th, it is the Share the Hope event. And there will be some more details to come for that. So if you've been here with us the last three weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Chapter, one chapter every week. And, um, and we've encouraged you guys to take advantage of just kind of following along with us in your Bible. Reading one chapter a day, Monday through Saturday. And then we meet back here on Sundays to, um, to, to check out and see what God is speaking through his word. And, and let me encourage you, like Gabe said last week, if you have not taken advantage of that, hey, it's not too late. Like start today, right? Start when you get home, get, open the word up, get you a chapter in and start to see what God is speaking through his church um, through the book of Ephesians. Now, uh, as you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. This is, uh, I guess you would call this Thursday's daily reading. And as you make your way over there in, the, in, in your copy of God's Word, um, you're going to notice that the title of this is A Worthy Walk. A Worthy Walk. So as we read the first verse of chapter 4, you're going to see how creative I can get with sermon titles, right? Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, how many of you read that and you're like, man, that sounds a little daunting, right? Like, walk worthy, that, that sounds intimidating, maybe even, even demanding. Walk worthy of this calling. Like, what does it mean to walk worthy, right? And what exactly have we been called to? Um, I, I don't really feel worthy of anything, much less walking in a way that lines up with whatever this that I've been called to. Um, any of you guys there when you read that? So for the, for the past three chapters, the main subject of, every chap- of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is look what God has done, right? Look what God has done for us in Christ by adopting us, by redeeming us, by forgiving us of, of our sin. His grace now abounds toward us and doing all of this to accomplish His purposes, His plan. Um, we, we, were, we were dead in sins. Like, we were dead in sins, and he made us alive by the grace of Christ. His goodness towards us by laying down his life on the cross for our sins. Now, having made us alive, right, made us alive. We just sang it earlier, seated in heavenly places with him, and we're now the household of God. We are the people of God. We're built on the chief cornerstone, who is Christ himself. Look at what God has done for us. And now it says in, in, in chapter 3, it talks about this idea that we, are, that we are God's way of dispensing the knowledge of God. Like we are this conduit that God uses now 
to, to exclaim how good God is, right? That people would see his grace, that people would see his nature, his mercy through us. Um, the, uh, the, the universal calling to which all of God's people, his one body of people, um, is that we would be an eternal body that would be a visible manifestation of his grace, that we would be a billboard that points to his grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. It's on the screen. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his will. Now watch this. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Like we would be a billboard pointing and saying, look how gracious God is. Like look what, he can, look what his grace can do with somebody like me. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God this morning? Amen. That is the calling. When he says walk worthy of the calling, that is the calling which we've been called to, that we would be these, these billboards. So we're going to look at a few ways um, in, in which we are instructed to walk in a way that lines up with that calling. Um, before, we, before we really get into that, I want to point out the fact that in chapters 1 through 3, he only gives us one imperative, right? For, for three chapters, he only gives us one instruction, one commandment. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he gives us like 40. 40 commandments, 40 imperatives. And, and this tells us something not only important about understanding this book, but important about understanding the life that he's called us to, the Christian life. I mentioned earlier that chapters 1 through 3 could kind of be summed up as, look what God has done, right? And I, and I thought this was important, so I'll put this on the screen as well. Carrying out the instructions, carrying out the instructions of how to walk worthily must be rooted in an understanding of what God has done for you in Christ. You must, you, we must, we must see, understand, believe, and I would even add savor what God has done for us in Christ in order to walk out what the rest of this book instructs us to do. If you, if you, if you go into chapters 4 through 6 without understanding what he's done in 1 through 3, you, you're basically putting the cart before the horse. And, and, and you would be pridefully assuming that you have what it takes to walk this out apart from the power of Christ. Right? So let's understand what he has done for us as we move in through these last four, the ch four uh, three, three chapters. Verses 1 through 6, I, I, I've summed it up like this. It's, it's in pursuit of unity. Walk in pursuit of unity. Unity is something that has been at the forefront of conversations and, and headlines and stuff for the past year and a half. And um, man, I remember, I remember like three years ago coming to Impact and being so grateful for the times that we will pray for another church. Right, that we would that we would be conscious of the kingdom of God, of the capital C church, and we would pray for and bless these other churches in our community. Like, like God, we want you to pour out your spirit in East Paris Baptist Church. Right? We want you to rain down your presence in Canaan in Canaan Land Church of God or His Place Fellowship or all of these other places where people are united around the same gospel, the same Christ, the same cross the same blood that redeems us and the same grace that saves us. 
So as we as we read through this, let's. Um, I just want to keep that in mind. Just that that's what we're going to be talking about. This the, the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. If you want to read along with me, it's going to be New King James Version. Paul writes, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to work walk worthily of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long suffering, bearing with one another in love." endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. I want to concentrate this morning for a few minutes on these first three verses, and I've got those underlined, a a few things in them. He, He says that, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness, with all gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The first thing that Paul mentions under the heading of walk worthily of the calling is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what, is it, what does it look like? for us as a church body to do this, to endeavor to pursue after this unity. And, and I think the first thing, I, I, I underline lowliness and gentleness because unity is going to require humility. Pride is the number one enemy of unity. You know what keeps multi-church events from happening? It's pride. It's pride. And that can look like many different things, right? Like, like, like a monopoly on truth. Right, like, like for, for us to think that we hold every interpretive key to Scripture, it, it's our way or the highway, right? Like, like that's, that's pride. Or Let, let me just say this. I, I feel like I speak for Pastor Gabe and the rest of the elders here that say, man, we don't have a, we don't have a monopoly on truth. Right? Like we probably don't know everything there is to know. Amen? But we make it our best effort to preach the Word of God to the best of our understanding depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit who He's given us to do that with. But here's the reality. There, there are and there will always be secondary issues or disputable things. Paul write, writes in Romans chapter 14, he says, um, except one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And I feel like if more of our church leaders would be able to swallow enough of our pride and say, you know what, I probably don't have it all figured out. <laughs> I probably don't have it all figured out, then, then I, I, think, I think that we would be able to be used by the Lord corporately, in, in, interchurch, interdenominationally, as the occasion calls for it. Man, I thought it was right on time when Amanda, two weeks ago, like, like she prophesied about multi-church serving events, you know? And here's the reality. I already had this written down. <laughs> two weeks before that, just this idea that God would be able to through unity, through pursuing this, would be able to do that even in and, and through us. And l- let, me, let me also say this. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that we should be like one big mega church that fills up, you know, that fills up the Civic Center every Sunday morning. Like, I don't think that's what his design was. Like, usually when we start talking about unity, we're, we're quick to point out, man, how many churches do we have here in Lamar County? Right? Well, that city limit sign out there has said 25,000 ever since I was seven years old. Right? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there's more p- 
people in Paris than that? And there's a whole lot more in Lamar County. Right? How many people does it take to shepherd 40, 50, 60,000 people? I mean, if you ask me, 150 churches, it's not nearly enough. Right? God needs his people on the ground. Think, think of all the diversity that is represented in that. Like all of these individual church families, these bodies that are unique in their church personality, right? Like we're not exactly like any of these other people. And they're not exactly like us, and that's okay. Right? They, we reach out to the people that we, we feel like we're called to reach out to, and they do the same thing. See, what, what, we, tend, what, what we tend to divide ourselves by, God uses to multiply. Right? Like, I, I get that some of these churches, I got a Southern Baptist uh, pastor friend of mine, and um, he calls them Southern Baptist church plants. Right? When half the church gets upset with the other half and goes and plants themselves across the street. Hey, I get it, and, and that happens, that happens, but, but, but the reality is when, when we start making every effort to maintain and, and keep this type of unity, that those denominations and those names on the building become methods of multiplicity instead of division. Augustine puts it like this, by faithfulness, we're collected and we're wound up into unity within ourselves, whereas we had been scattered abroad in multiplicity. What he's saying is he recognizes the fact that the unity that we're talking about exists subsurface, like there's something deep within us. That's the unity that he's referring to. The second, the second sub-point under this is the fact that people are involved. When we start pursuing, endeavoring to pursue God's unity, um, people are going to be involved. Look, look back with me at the text for just a second. It says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, this may be a no-brainer, but as we do this, like we're going to have to come to grips with the reality that you're going to have to work with people. People make mistakes, right? People are fallible. People are not always being led by the Spirit, even if they say that they are. Uh, like, like they're being led by a Spirit, but I'm pretty sure his name doesn't start with holy. And uh, we, people are messy. People are messy. This, 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 this word, it says, bearing with bearing with one another it's translated as tolerate or endure or my favorite to put up with right because my mom's favorite thing to say when i was growing up is lucas i'm not going to put up with it anymore well here's here's the fact we're called to put up with messy people and here's a newsflash sometimes you're that messy people sometimes i am that messy people and we're called to bear with things like that the, the one that one person that you're like man god i'll do anything what whatever just as long as i don't do it with him as long as i don't do it with her hey that's the one person that god is using to shape you that's the one person that god has used to chisel you to get some things out of there out of you that you're not able nor willing to get out of yourself god is using that person we're going people are going to be involved and last of all, under this heading, it's, it's the Spirit's unity. It says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if it's the Spirit's unity, then what is our part? Like, why do we have to work at maintaining it or keeping it? Let's, let's think about this for a second. Um, first of all, I think we need to get out of our minds that somehow we can create this unity. Right, because this is this is on a deeper level than what we can create. I, I want to throw like three verses up there just to kind of drive this home. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12, 13 says, By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The Spirit of God has placed you within the body of Christ. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is the Spirit of God within us who who affirms that we are connected, that we are children of God. And last of all, Philippians 2, 1 through 2 says that if there's any encouragement of Christ, any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection, any compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. The Holy Spirit creates fellowship. He creates the unity that we're talking about It's that bond that exists. Like when you go and you sit down beside somebody on an airplane or wherever and they start talking about Jesus. Like they start, and and, and you're listening to that and you're like, man, we got a live one here, right? We got somebody that God has done something in their life. And I've only known this person for five minutes, but you know what? I'm ready to lock arms with them and head straight into battle. Like that's the unity that we're talking about. That's, that's what we're referring to. So how do, how do we make every effort to guard it or to maintain it? And I've got just three things right quick. The first thing is we need to realize the need to guard it. We need to realize that the enemy is always trying to come against the body of Christ. The enemy fights against everything that the Spirit does. The Spirit illuminates, the enemy darkens. Right? The, the, the Spirit convinces of truth. And the enemy casts doubt on truth. The Spirit unifies the body, and the enemy sows seeds of division within the body. He recognizes the power of where two or three are gathered. Right? Christ said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there in the midst. And the enemy recognizes that. Like, he, he, he knows that as a force to be reckoned with. The second thing we can do, I believe, is humility. Humility, humility. Again, pride is, is number, enemy number one to unity. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and I would add, he gives the grace of fellowship. He gives the grace of unity to the humble. Conflict's going to happen, right? Conflict is going to happen. Romans twelve eighteen says that, that the... the uh, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Right? The, the unity that we're talking about is kept in the bond of peace. And so ask yourself. And I think this is a question we all need to ask ourselves. Am I putting personalities and preferences above kingdom principles? Am I putting my personalities, my preferences, my agendas above kingdom principles? And the last thing is the reality that there are going to be differences of secondary issues. Denominations form around these things. The first commandment he gives us in walking worthy is to pursue this unity. So when those secondary issues come, the question lies with us as individuals. Are my secondary issues, are they so egregious that they warrant setting aside this first priority of endeavoring to maintain this unity? Are my secondary issues that egregious? 
Let's move on to the second part of this of, of chapter four, and it's going to be walking in your giftings. Walking in your giftings. Look at verses seven and eight of chapter four with me. <clears throat> it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Paul tells us that grace was given according to the measure of his gift. I don't want to be here too long, but I want to note that grace is given in proportion to the gift. Not only because is the gift part of his grace, but the strength and the power to use it is too. Right, The strength and the power to use these gifts is given according to his grace. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me, it wasn't in vain. Yet I labored more than all of them. <laughs> he says, I worked more than all of them, yet it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God which was with me. The grace of God which was with me. I say this because I, I, I think... Some of you may be stuck in this place of wondering, man, am I good enough to be to have a gift? Like, am I am I good enough to be used by God in some capacity? And, and the reality is, His gifts and His strength and His power are given according to His grace. It's grace is unmerited. Like, I can't earn. He He doesn't give gifts to you because of how good you live. He gives gifts to you because of how good Jesus lived. <laughs> Amen. And he gives us strength to use them. <clears throat> the first thing in, in this section I want to look at is just this reality that this is by his design. Like this is how God designed this thing to work. Look back at 4, 7, and 8 with me. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now, if, if you have a a copy that makes notations of, in, in God's word, you might notice that this is Old Testament. Like Paul is, he's, he's quoting an Old Testament passage, and whenever he does that, I challenge you, go back and look and see what he's talking about. Go back and find this passage and see what the context is. He, he's quoting Psalm 68, and we're not going to read through the whole psalm, but I, I want to throw a few verses up there just so you can kind of understand what he's talking about. Psalm 68, 7 and 8 says, Oh God, when you went out before your people, you marched through the wilderness. The earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God, and Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. You have ascended on high, you led captivity captive, and you received gifts from among men, even the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there. Now, as you read those verses... Like we see that the author, even in this psalm, he's pointing back to the Exodus. He's pointing back to when God led his people out of there and then he gave them gifts. But if you, if you compare this to Ephesians 4, 8, you're going to notice it translates a little bit different. Like in Psalm 68, he says, you have received gifts from among men. But in Ephesians 4, 8, it says you've given gifts to him. So which is it? Did he give or did he receive? And here's the answer, both. He did both. See, the gifts that he's talking about in Psalms, he's pointing back into this, this when, when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they basically went up to all the Egyptians before they left, and they're like, hey, man, we're going to need some gold and silver for the last 400 years of working. 
We're going to need you to give us some gold and some silver and clothes. Look, look with me. It's on the screen. It's going to be Exodus 12, 35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Now like this. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. I think it was more like this. Hey, we're going to need payment for the last 400 years of working for you guys. Now what do you got? And they just give it to them. They give it to them. Now, let's think about this for a minute because this is what Paul, this is the text that Paul is using. God gave gifts to the Israelites. What would they later do with that gold and that silver? They would give it back to God to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this place where the, 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 the Israelites would worship God. Right, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the fixtures, the furniture, all of these things were inside of there. God gave them gifts that they would give back to him to build up the place where God's presence dwelled. Now, do you see why he's using that passage in Ephesians 4? He gives us gifts to give back to him. To build up the place, us, the church, where his glory now dwells. Do you see that? That's like, it's been the whole, this is, this time that we live in right now has been what all of Scripture is about. It's all point. You were made for this time right now, for the gifts that he would give us to declare who God is, to declare his grace and his power. This was his design. A little bit of homework for you. Don't do it right now, but go home and find the first person that was ever filled with the Spirit of God. I guarantee you it's not going to be in the New Testament either. The second part of this, um, I, I've got, th this is how he grows his body. Let's go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the, te and the techniques of deceit. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament the whole body grows. This promotes growth of the whole body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. The proper working of each individual part is each individual with their gifting, and that causes growth of the whole body corporately. I need you and your gift in order to grow. I need each of you with your gifts that God has given you so that we all can grow corporately. Uh, and if you're unsure of what that gift is, like we have this thing called Next Steps, right? Get signed up for it. We'll walk with you through the giftings, right? And, and see what, what has God gifted you to do and figure out, man, where can you get plugged in? 
Uh, Stephen was just telling me this morning, man, we need some help back here in, te- in, in, the, in the media part. Right? And some of you are gifted in those areas. The last part of this um, is just simply this. This is how you get in the game. This is how you get into the game. God has called us to be part of this living, moving, breathing organism called the church. Look back at verse 7 for just a minute. It says, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us. Now, tell me, who does that exclude? Nobody, right? There's a couple of different lists throughout the New Testament. But you know what I'm not finding on any of those lists of gifts? Sermon listener. Right? I'm a sermon listener. Um, what role do you play in the body? Well, third row, uh, seventh chair. Um, I'm a fan. Like, I show up here every morning and I say, man, this is my favorite team, Impact. Go, guys. Like, he has not called you to sit on the sidelines. He has gifted you. He has empowered you, and he's called you to be a part of this. Figure out where you belong. Ask yourself, God, where do you want me? Um, just a, a couple ways to get in the game. I just mentioned it, but it's next steps, right? Go through that. Figure out where you can serve. And last of all, grow groups. Continuing to equip yourself to be equipped to minister. Carl, Carl Binger has a, has a group called Evangelism 101. That's just a great technique, a great um, empowering tool to show you how to give your testimony, how to lead somebody to the Lord. The last part of this, the last section, is going to be verses 17 through 32. And the last half of this chapter deals with this idea of putting on Christ and how that fleshes out, like practically speaking. Let's, uh, let's look at verses 17 and 18. It says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. 17 begins with this statement, we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And here's the key to that statement. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. The key is understanding. And and in that under that heading, I have three, just three subpoints, and the first one is going to be the spiritual precedes the practical. The spiritual precedes the practical. The last half of, of chapter four, it's like divided into these two sections. In the first section, Paul starts to, re, to, to list these spiritual realities that must take place in your life. And in the second half, he kind of rapid fire, rapid fires these different commandments, like we're lying. Don't harbor wrath. Don't harbor resentments. Don't steal. Watch what comes out of your mouth. And the reality is, I can stand up here and I can harp on all those things until I'm blue in the face. But if you don't get the first part of this, like if you don't understand this identity exchange, then you're going to fall flat on your face. The, the life that we are commanded to live as Christians and I like, if you watch the video, the last part of this, the, the, the whole heading of this is our identity. The life that we're commanded to live as Christians flows out of our identity. 
in Christ. Some of you here today may be trying to address spiritual problems with physical solutions. And, and the problem that we're seeing in our today, I think is a re- it's a result of a spiritual condition. It's a result. You can no more expect unredeemed people to live redeemed than you can expect a pig to not eat garbage. He's a pig. He likes garbage. He sticks his head in it, and he wags his little behind, and he fills his face with as much as he can. But if you had the power to instantaneously change that pig into a man, he would then vomit out the very stuff that he found enjoyment in. This is a, it's a spiritual condition. You can't legislate grace. There's no law that has the power to cause you to love one another as Christ has loved us. As, past, as Pastor Gabe mentioned at the end of chapter 1, things in this book were written to believers. The blessings throughout chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the blessings to believers, and the commandments, 4, 5, and 6, are commandments for believers. You, you must understand the spiritual, this identity exchange the second part of this that, that, that I've noted is the fact that this is a call to die and become a new creature. The, the Christian invita- the invitation of Christ is to come and die. Come and lay, lay it all down and become a new creature in Christ. Let's look at verses 20 through 24. That was not what you learned about Christ. You certainly heard about him. And as his followers... You were taught the truth that is in Jesus. So get rid of your old self, which made you live as as you used to. That old self that was being destroyed by its deceitful desires. Your hearts and your minds must be made completely new. And you must put on the new self, which is created in God's likeness and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. I want you to notice the musts in that. This is the thrust of the gospel invitation. Uh, We live in a day and age now where the waters of Christianity tend to get a little muddied, right? They tend to get a little clouded by our reluctance to offend anybody Um, and being overly concerned with people's self-esteem. We have uh, developed this worldview of Christianity, and this is kind of what it sounds like. There, there's a God who created, exists, and He ordered the world. God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, the way that the Bible teaches and other religions teach. God's plan for your life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself and to be morally upright. It's, it's therapeutic in that sense. God does not need to be particularly involved in my life unless I have a problem and then I reach out to him. And then, last of all, good people, good people like what I've described, they go to heaven when they die. That is the worldview that has developed. It's moralistic, it's therapeutic, and it's deistic. It acknowledges the existence of God. It even likes morality. Um, And it is therapeutic in the sense that it just, man, we can take these things and and I can add a few more, sprinkle a little of this on my life and a little of that on my life. Guys, our, the problem is not that we need more therapy. 
and I'm not dogging th- therapists, right? But the answer to the problem of our sinful nature is repentance from that nature. Your hearts and minds must be made new, aided by the power of the Holy Spirit, by receiving the gift of right standing that Christ has afforded us. No no amount of therapy is ever going to solve the problem of your and my tendency towards evil. The last section of this chapter, it gives a rapid fire, as I said, of commands and principles And I think there's a real danger in taking these last commands as therapeutic steps towards a better you. Right? If you are outside of a relationship with Jesus this morning, you're not in need of adding a few more characteristics to make you look and sound like Christ. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. You need to reach out and accept the gift that He has given to us. The call, the invitation to all humanity is to die, to repent of the old man, the man that is bent towards evil, and to receive the gift of right standing that God offers us in Christ. And last of all, as we look at this last part of this this chapter, um, I've called it merely this. You're never going to be any more like Christ than you purpose yourself to be. Let's read through these verses um, worship team, you can go ahead and kind of start coming this way. But the last few verses of this chapter say, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for all, we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives the foothold, gives a foothold to the devil. And I'm going to add, that's not the only thing that gives the devil a foothold. Any door of sin that you leave open, he sticks his foot in there and he props it open. Any door of sin. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow or grieve the Holy Spirit, by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing, I love that word, guaranteeing, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is here. He's here to help you. He's here to help you do this thing. Learn to listen to Him. Like He's going to help you to know before you do something that grieves Him. I promise if you're listening to him. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Believers here this morning, this doesn't come by osmosis. The things that are written in here, they, 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 don't, they don't just happen That's why he instructs us, put on the new self. Who's putting it on? We are. We are. Put on the new self. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. You get into the word and you watch what he does. You watch how he speaks, how he loves. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you chase after those things. That's what it means to be 
a follower of Christ. You invite him into the everyday situations of your life and you watch as he gives you the mind and the heart of Christ. This journey, this journey is a pursuit. It is a pursuit. As believers, we're, we're called to pursue peace. 1 Peter 3.11, we're called to pursue righteousness. Both First and Second Timothy, we're called to pursue love. 1 Corinthians 14, and we're, we're called to pursue that which is good. The life of a follower of Jesus is one that follows, it pursues, or as Paul stated, he said, I press on. I'm pressing on towards that goal. Right? I'm, I'm running. It's a race. It's not a sit. I'm running this race before me. I'm, I'm grabbing hold of that, that which Christ has grabbed hold and laid hold of me. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and this isn't your pursuit, but you sense an urging, like you sense something, that's the Lord pursuing you. Or the hound of heaven, as he's been called, chasing after you, welcoming into this that he's, that he's given you, that he's offering you, he's offering you life. As the prayer teams come forward, I want you to, um, man, just ask yourself, God, ask God. Lord, what are, you, what are you speaking to me this morning? Again, if, you, if you're not in a relationship with the Lord I, and you feel that, tugging, conviction, pulling, like, man, t- today's the day. He says, today is the day of salvation. Let's seal this deal. Let's start the journey. Start the pursuit. And we're a church that believes in healing. I don't think it ever stops. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So if you need healing, come down here and pray for healing. I believe God for whatever mountain that needs to be moved in your life. Justin, will you pray for us as we transition into response time? Father, we're so thankful for your word. God, uh, we thank you for our